welcome to episode 5 of the Amadeus Travel Payments Podcast, and thanks for tuning in. Today, we're exploring the theme of cash flow management, or more specifically, how travel brands taking, making, and receiving payments can utilise non-card payments to improve cash flow. This podcast is a recording of a fireside chat from the end of 2020, when we were lucky to be joined by two experienced alternative payment specialists, James Booth from PPRO and Guillaume Demier from PayPal. This session was chaired by Jeremy Dybel, Head of Sales for Amadeus Payments. If you'd like to learn more about the themes covered in this session, we've added two links in the podcast description to two of our most popular articles of the last year, Why COVID-19 is Driving Growth of Local Payment Methods in Travel, and How Amadeus and PayPal are Collaborating to Support Airlines. These blogs were written by our guest speakers, James and Guillaume, respectively. I'll be back at the end, but until then, here's Jeremy. Thank you, and uh, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on on where you are. Um, we've got uh, some some good questions, some good conversation coming up for you. We do also have the Q and A, as Esther was saying. Um, what I'm also keen though is if you have uh, a, some burning comment to, to make or or something you'd just like to ask as we're going through, um, feel free to uh, to come off mute and just ask as as we're going as well. Um, no problem at all about doing that, and of course it would just help the conversation flow potentially as well. Um, so. I'm going to address uh, my first question to James here, um, so we get uh, get right into the into the questions right now. Um, we've run a, a research study recently, um, and we interviewed travellers from across the globe, uh, particularly since COVID um, has uh, ha- has been hitting the travel space uh, in particular, and we were just really asking them their thoughts, how they've experienced it. Um, and particularly with uh, relationship to um, the, the whole payments process as well. Now, we, we've seen that um, uh, the digital transformation has accelerated because of, because of COVID, um, and people are maybe moving away from cash to some extent into other forms of payment. So I've got two questions for James to begin with. Um, what changes has uh, PPRO seen? Uh, in overall consumer behavior since the outbreak of COVID-19? Uh, and then what's, what's your expectation uh, about the adoption of these uh, so-called alternate forms of payment um, in the travel space as well? So t- two questions to uh, to get you going there. Good questions. Thank you. Thanks, Jeremy. And thanks thanks uh, for the team at, at Amadeus for organizing this. Um, it's great to be part of the panel. Um, so addressing addressing the first question, I mean, what what changes have we seen overall in in consumer behaviour? Uh, I mean, firstly, um, I would I would almost answer what what haven't we seen because I think all of our expectations have, have completely changed. Um, this this year has been a whirlwind of a year, um, but I mean, really, when it comes down to it, uh, you kind of alluded to it in, in your question there. You know, this is a this is a trend that um, has been occurring for years. Um, it's, it's something that, that we weren't all too surprised about, the shift towards digital payments. Um, what, what, what really was the shock this year was the speed of change that we saw digital payment adoption occurring. You know, it was, it was sort of three to five years worth of um, development occurred within a three month uh, timeframe as the pandemic took uh, took effect and as countries went into lockdown. So I would say, I mean, overall consumer behavior has, has completely shifted. Um, you know, if, if, if we talk about the consumer shift from cash to card, you know, that took a long period of time. We were going through the shift from card to digital native payments. And I think that's where we are now. That's, that's what I will remember 2020 as being, as will be the, the, the shock to the system that uh, cause consumers to fully adopt um, digital payments and and really where they became the norm. And that's everything from e-wallets on your mobile phone to using bank transfers online to to shop. You know, I think um, cash is still prevalent in, in certain parts of the world, um, but certainly in other parts of the world, it's it's completely completely gone. I, I mean, myself personally, I've been used I've been used a physical note in in months, and I, I actually don't intend to, unless I'm maybe traveling to a country. 
that's that that hasn't adopted some of the digital forms of payments. So that's where I think let's say the overall consumer behavior has moved towards. Um, now, when it comes to the adoption of these alternative forms of, of payments, specifically in the, the travel space, um, here it's interesting because, you know, I think the travel industry has always been uh, one of the early adopters of alternative forms of payments and, and some of these other methods. They've always been, um, it's a low margin industry, so having the right payment mix has always been at the, the forefront. Um, however, what was maybe nice to have at the beginning of the year um, is now almost table stakes for the entire industry. So I think we saw, and certainly in our conversations, we were speaking to some travel providers, some airlines, et cetera, they were maybe looking at a, an overall payment strategy globally. Whereas this year, I think they've really had to accelerate their, their strategy and their adoption of a holistic approach to, to digital first and, and alternative forms of payment because consumers are now Consumers' habits have changed, and now they're demanding these types of payment methods. So the market will have to move very quickly. Fantastic. And you don't see people, when things go back to, uh, I don't know, the new normal, um, them going back to cash? No, I don't think so, to be honest. I think, I think the big shock has occurred, and, and the hardest thing was to get consumers to, to shift. You know, if you, look at, if you look at kind of just general demographics, obviously the younger generations... They, they, they're conducting their lives in a digital first way. You know, for them, using cash or even using a, a card is, is almost foreign to them. You know, you go to certain parts of the world, you go to APAC, for example, you know, everything there is done through an e-wallet and a QR code. You know, you whip out a, a plastic credit card in, in some Southeast Asian countries and it's, it's foreign for the younger demographics. However, I think as soon as you as soon as you move up the chain, there's there's certain parts of the population that have maybe hesitated towards moving into digital payments. And now during the lockdown, they were forced to shop online. They were forced to buy their groceries using a credit card, forced to buy their groceries using PayPal, using a bank transfer, et cetera. And I think because of the amount of time we've been in lockdown, habits are formed. They've started to realize the benefits of um, using digital forms of payments. And I don't see many going back to cash. Obviously, there will be some shift back, but I would, I would, uh, I would think the majority would would start moving forward because they now see the benefits. And it's certainly what we're seeing um, at Peepro. It's what we're seeing within our, our transaction trends, and it's certainly coming up in a lot of the the merchant discussions that we're having, not only in the travel sector, but as well as hospitality, as well as retail, um, as well as the other um, industries that we support. Uh, but certainly in the travel sector, it's it's really up at the top there. Fabulous. Thank you uh, for that, James. Uh, Guillaume, we'll come on to some um, to another question in a second for you, but um, what thoughts have you had on, on the question that, that James has just tackled there as well, particularly around the expectations around adoption and um, what have you seen in consumer behavior and consumer demand over the last few months? Um, hi, Jeremy. Uh, thanks a lot for, for having me. Uh, I'm really happy to be here. And, and to your point, I mean, let's go right into the center of the discussion, which is we saw this huge spike uh, and of you know new consumers and and basically the move from offline to online. And and also to to point what James was saying, after the lockdowns uh, rules were lifted, there was no there was no change in consumer behavior. Because once they have started to uh, uh, to see the benefit and the value of, of online payments, uh, then you know there's no there's no going back. So it's it's really you know not a spike, but really an acceleration for uh, for a secular trend. Uh, now that that being said, I think there's first there's two two additional things to consider. Is first the 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 technology is quite mature, so I think the the level of um, uh, uh, the, the level of technicity is not very high. So even you know small businesses can have very uh, very good checkout experience. You know they can match what Amazon or or ASOS or others are doing. So it's it's really accessible to everybody, uh, and we, which is a good thing. Uh, but the second piece, which is more to airlines, is now the pressure is. 
uh, to large companies who were maybe you know not as fast or not as agile as before, they, they need to adapt to the new norm. There's there's no question about it, and it's it's both in terms of payment experience, refunds, uh, basically everything that you can build to 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 push trust uh, to consumers, uh, and and that's one of the key lever that that consumers will look at is you know what make me trust this this company this airline and and this is obviously something that you know we we, we are working uh uh you know all year long about about this value yeah Fantastic. I'd, 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 I'd like to just also add on to that I, I completely agree with you there i think i think the trust element is very high um is, is, is required to be much higher and the stakes are much higher uh, purely because of this new consumer behavior. I think this new consumer behavior drives, well, I mean, it's going to drive a lot of competition in the marketplace because if if I'm transacting online here in the UK, I'm based in London, you know, if I go into an online retailer, I'm going to expect a certain experience. I'm used to it. Um, now, actually, in some of the restaurants I go to, I can pay via um, a wallet, expect a certain experience there. And actually now when I book travel, when I go to the airport, actually throughout my entire journey, I'm going to be looking for similar experiences. I'm going to expect the exact same. So it, it, the stakes are much higher and it's, it's becoming more important to, to cater to these new consumer needs. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, so you were both talking about sort of rapid change, particularly this year, and I think you said sort of three to five years worth of change in, in three months. So this is a question for Guillaume, and then, of course, we'll definitely need uh, James's input there as well. But what are the pain points that, that merchants have experienced during this rapid change? Um, and what solutions um, do you think are out there to, to alleviate these pain points as well? So Guillaume first. Well, many pain points, I would say, almost closer to or, or triggering nervous breakdown, uh, especially in the in the airline business. Um, because what is interesting for to see is that I believe you know travel and airline usually were actually quite advanced uh, compared to other verticals in terms of online penetration. Uh, but what it meant with COVID is that suddenly you had massive number of disputes from consumers. You had massive amount of refunds and then triggering you know, ca cash flows issues, uh, basically. Like, can, can, do I have enough cash uh, on my accounts to, to pay back the consumers? Um, and, and finally, you know, regulations that were uh, moving uh, or, or changing uh, on a weekly basis. Uh, so it's been, it's, been, it's been quite hard. Uh, I think for for everybody here. Now that being said, you know, from a, from a payment perspective, there's uh, there's there's a couple of options that we've also uh, uh, pushed and worked with with airlines. The, the first one was extending the the duration of of consumer disputes. Uh, usually, you have uh, within PayPal you have ten days to uh, to file a, a dispute and and ten days for the airline to answer. Uh, we, we've extended this and, and doubling it to 20 days just to give a bit more time to, to adapt, especially in a context where people were working from, from home. So that's, that's, that's pretty tough. Second thing was access to capital. Um, and part of our, part of our uh, value pop is also working capital. And we, we were uh, uh, deferring repayments uh, without in, any interest, uh, just to make sure that people, you know, or, or merchants were, uh, were able to uh, to repay, um, and, and finally chargebacks. Um, we waived uh, all the chargeback fees for uh, during the summer, well, you know, spring summer, uh, and and I think that was the right thing to do. We we, we worked also with uh, with the scheme networks to uh, uh, to do that, uh, but there's you know uh, the, the the fees of chargebacks are usually set up also as a, as an incentive. Uh, to have a good operational uh, rules, but this is this is this wasn't about it. It was just you know uh, uh, su surviving in this period, and, and it was the right thing to do. Excellent. Thank you for 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 those insights. And it's it's interesting to see how uh, a number of these these fees and things were 
people waived to uh, to help people just continue operating in tricky circumstances. So for yourself, what are the pain points that uh, the PPRO has seen and the solutions? Uh, clearly, they'll be similar, but I'm sure there'll be some some fresh ones as well, maybe. Yeah. So, I mean, from, from, from PPRO's point of view, um, obviously, we work in a very unique part of the payments uh, payments ecosystem. Um, so firstly, we don't work directly with, with merchants. We're, we're an infrastructure provider that sits behind uh, payment service providers like, um, like Amadeus Payments. Um, also, the, the types of payment methods that we offer are very unique. We, we focus in on the alternatives. So we're talking about bank transfers, some of the, the real traditional e-wallets, et cetera. And fundamentally, the majority of those are very different in their risk profile. So, so, so we actually didn't face um, uh, high chargeback rates uh, purely because a lot of these payment mechanisms don't have they, they <coughs> don't have chargebacks built into them. For us, it was more around the offline uh, dispute process and and working with some of our partners and some of the airlines to to quickly almost connect the dots between consumers and the airlines and remediate um, some of the issues. Um, we saw a lot of this um, that's very common now in, in the airline industry where um, lots of vouchers were, were, were given and credit was given, et cetera. So for us, it was more the, the this rapid shift to new business models um, and new support models for consumers and, and just helping facilitate that from a, from a payment perspective because, because fundamentally they're, they're very different in, in, in in how they work or well, our payment methods are different compared to, to credit cards. So for us, um, yeah, it was more on the communication and the business model side of things. Um, that was a challenge. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, and then moving on again to um, kind of cash flow. Um, we, we've talked uh, around it a little bit already, but we know that for um, the traditional Visa MasterCard and, and credit card model, um, there is a credit and risk process and, and that decides the, the financial strength of, of a merchant and then decides how quickly they get their, their cash. Now, clearly, um, those models were never really built to deal with the chaos that has come out of COVID. And we know that um, acquirers have had to run quickly to, to actually keep themselves afloat as well, because if they run out of cash then it's not actually doing anyone any favors so there's been a a lot of movement there refunds vouchers as we've been talking about um rebookings even uh, and the acquirers have had to keep an eye on that in some ways it actually makes a lot of sense for the merchants to to really push alternate forms of payment and particularly if they can uh, then speed up their cash flow as well so what have you guys both seen uh, in that arena, and are they are the airlines or, or any merchant actively incentivizing uh, other forms of payment as well uh, to actually move away from the kind of traditional card scheme rails there as well? Um, so I'll ask that to James, and then again we'll we'll go back to Guillaume. Yeah, perfect. Happy to pick it up. So, um, I mean, as I as I mentioned in, in in my previous answer, the the whole risk profile of um, local or alternative payment methods is very different. So, so from an underwriting perspective, um, it's a very different conversation that's, um, that we're having with um, our, our partners underlying merchants and vis-a-vis -vis with, uh, with, with the ultimate payment methods. Um, and for them, it's actually more around, um, it's more around a risk decision and it's more around a, a funding or funding timeframe decision um, around the risk management. So, um, really, the main topic here is um, what 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 we saw is we saw airlines coming to oh, apologies, that's my Apple Watch. <laughs> we saw we saw lots of airlines coming to us because the um, the deposit terms or some of the risk terms with some of the payment methods who they were working with directly immediately changed. We saw LPMs asking for higher deposits just to fund refunds and to keep balances um, um, abreast. So we saw lots of large merchants coming to uh, coming to our partners into PPRO because we, they wanted to smooth over some of the risk profiles through a partner like ourselves. And I think that's one of the big shifts that we saw. We saw instead of merchants working directly with some of these payment methods, they're now going through um, uh, financial institutions to gain access to a wide variety of payment methods because we almost act as, a, as an intermediary 
that's able to manage and mitigate a lot of the risk for both the airline as well as the LPM, because we can pool our volume throughout multiple LPMs at the same time. Some regions may be higher risk, some regions may be a lower risk. So for us, we saw, we saw that as being one of, the, one of the major talking points that we've been have, uh, having over the past months. And one of the pain points that, that some airlines have faced was, was really navigating some of those conversations directly with, with payment methods and negotiating the right terms. Um, obviously, negotiating the terms is, is, a, is, a, is a tricky topic because it involves a lot of different moving parts. Um, but we found the more we were able to almost aggregate and blend into, into um, these new settlement models that we're coming up with, the more favorable we could, um, we could provide solutions to, to travel merchants. Fantastic. And then we'll come to Guillaume just in one second, but are there any markets where you've seen this happening more than, than elsewhere? Any markets that are driving this particular change? Yeah, to, to be honest, I think it's still a little bit too early to tell. Um, you know, I think that the, the shift started occurring in the first half of the year. Second half of the year really started accelerating. Um, and I think we're now starting to see that first wave really come to market. So, um, so yeah, the, the short answer is, is there's no particular market that I can highlight. Um, but I think that's going to be a, um, a, a revolving topic over the next few months and quarters. Uh, especially going into 2021. I think that will be um, a main topic that's, uh, that we'll be having um, alongside um, yourself and, and the Amadeus team. Fabulous. Guillaume, uh, what are your thoughts on this? Um, I think the first thing is uh, you know, regarding cash flow and how, how to manage that. From our side, we... we uh, we worked with the airlines also to to allow to basically fund uh, part of the cash flows by letting the accounts going negative. Uh, I think we, we were able to do that because you know we, uh, as as James was pointing out, we we were in a situation where we uh, uh, we were. Uh, managing or merging the risk with other verticals, and we're willing to take more risk in, in certain verticals, in particular with you know merchants and airlines where we, we knew the profile risk and we had you know long history of working with them, so it was it was easier. Now that being said, um, uh, after managing those refunds and going back to a bit more normal, it's true that the the level of risk was higher in general both from the consumer and the merchant side. Uh, but this is also where digital wallets have real value because you're looking at the, the transaction from both hands, from the consumer and the merchant at the same time, and you have more information, more data uh, to, to run risk model. And, and in our situation, uh, you know, we cover both ends of the transaction. It means that the consumer is protected, but the merchant is protected as well. And, and and if you know things goes wrong, in the end we are the we are the middleman who's managing the risk. Um, now, finally, you know, in terms of evolution or what we can see in the future is um, there there is also a trend where credit or online credit is developing fast, but in, in new forms. Um, you know, in particular with with more options around buy now pay later. Um, and, and this is where, uh, you know, the, the consum consumers are, are wanting to, to use that more and more. Um, and, and from our side, it's also important that we, we, we don't let merchants uh, carry the risk of those transactions, uh, especially airlines. So in, in our cases, we are managing the risk and, you know, we are funding every single transaction at full at the moment of the transaction. And it's up to us, PayPal, to, to recover the funds in case something goes wrong. Perfect. Thank you. Um, now, a slight change of direction, but uh, particularly in the payment space, no, no conversation would be complete without at least talking about the regulatory perspective as well. Um, we know that, that there's SCA been, been coming through. We suspect that uh, because of COVID, there may be a few additional changes coming through over the next year or so as well. Um, but from, from what you've seen, um, 
the, the new regulations protecting consumers' money, uh, what have you seen uh, and in what markets? And is there anything you'd like to highlight? Uh, and again, a second part to, to that is um, uh, these regulations, how are they actually affecting the, the merchants and, and affecting their ability to manage cash flow? Um, so we'll, we'll stay with Guillaume first and, and then we'll flip back to James. Uh, so regulation is it's usually uh, it's, it's it's the hot topic or the, the difficult one, um, and, and my, my my wife is a lawyer, so I have to be very careful about what I say. Um, but yeah, the, I think the very big impact is the the consequences of of PST two uh, and the different adaptation country by country. Uh, you know, even across Europe, the interpretation are slightly different. Uh, and you could have a model that works in France, but it, that is different in Germany, or they would have a different interpretation. So, you know, the, the framework is the same, but the, the complexity uh, is multiplied by each country. Um, and this is what we've been trying to, to solve uh, for the last uh, three years. Um, the, the second part parallel to it is uh, as part of PST2, uh, strong customer authentication has been rolled out uh, with delays uh, and sometimes without um, uh, without any, like without with some hurdles. Um, and I guess this is where also uh, airlines and, and the travel industry were very happy to work with digital wallet like like us uh, is that they've realized that there was a lot of value of putting the, the requirements uh, to the payment providers and not so much with them and the specific integration. And we had cases with big merchants saying, well, you know, I'm not that ready or I'm not comfortable with, uh, with 3DS 2.0. I don't know how to, to implement in certain countries. I'm going to push forward digital payments because I know that it's safe and, I, and, I'm, and I'm protected from, from, from the regulator. Fantastic, thank you, James. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, I think um, I think it's completely right there, Guillaume. Um, I, I see I see regulation becoming an extremely hot topic. I see I see, especially on a global basis, we're seeing a lot of different regulation pop up. Um, I mean, myself and my role, I'm I'm primarily focused on on Europe, Middle East, and Asia. But I know through in speaking to my colleagues in Asia Pacific and and in the Americas. It's, it's just as much of a minefield in these, these other regions, especially outside of, outside of the Eurozone where regulation is, is even more complex. Um, so certainly I see, I, see, I see that becoming a common um, trend throughout the entire payments landscape. So it's, and it's, it's really the trend is fragmentation. Um, as, as, as I mentioned, you know, there's, there's gonna be varying regulations by region, varying complexities by region, as well as on, a, on an acceptance level, um, you know, the payment methods by region are fragmenting, things are changing from a, um, a collection of funds flow perspective as well, it's fragmenting. So I think it's, a, it's gonna be a constant trend. I think it's gonna get much worse before we start seeing consolidation, especially on a regulatory level. Um, I don't see a, a global standard um, coming anytime soon. I think there were a few years ago, there were aspirations of, of that. Um, but uh, even just looking at how PSD2 has rolled out and the complexities of, of um, transposing that on a country by country level um, has, has meant that I, I don't see that happening anytime soon. So certainly working with um, a provider like Amadeus Payments, enabling payment methods like uh, PayPal is extremely important in taking that complexity out of, out of the landscape. Working with uh, um, aggregators like PPRO um, who effectively manage all of that complexity and, and navigate all that complexity for merchants um, is a trend like I see continuing to, to strengthen over time uh, because with all of this complexity and with all of the additional fragmentation that's occurring on an LPM side, that also means that there's going to be additional complexity on the client side. And now for a merchant to manage both the client's experience, the client side, different offerings on the client's uh, ecosystem as that becomes more competitive, as well as an increasingly complex and evolving uh, backend system, 
um, is is very difficult. So I certainly see partnership as a as a key approach within the payments ecosystem moving forward. Um, and I see I see more partnerships forming and especially strengthening on the back end so that merchants can concentrate on building out the best businesses that um, they're they're uh, hoping to do. Fabulous. Thank you very much for that, James. Now, we've had some some great conversation already. I'd like to actually broaden the questions out to to the audience. Um, we had some good uh, questions from this morning, which we can actually take a look at in a minute. But I was wondering whether there are any questions from the audience so far. So um, we'll just wait for 30 seconds, give people the, the chance to uh, to pipe up. If you've got a question, take the um Take the mute button off and uh, and fire away. In fact, while people are thinking of a question, I have a question for Guillaume. Uh, the guy sitting behind you hasn't moved for the whole thirty-five minutes already. Uh, he must be getting a little bit, uh, I don't know, tired or something. So, anyway, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I love mean... backdrops. Go for it. He's, he's been with me for the last uh, nine months uh, in this digital office. So when I sometimes I speak to him, but he never answers. <laughs> Excellent. Um, I'm not sure we've got any questions from the audience. So um, we're going to talk one, about. Jeremy. Oh, Randy, hi. Go for it. Hello. Thank you. Um, so the results that you guys have been speaking about, is that kind of a global? Uh, kind of norms that are going on or is that regional like how do you divide up the the ten, the trends and shifting that you guys have seen in each of your respected areas um so Guillaume do you want to have a go at that first uh and then James you pick up and I'll perhaps add in something at the end there as well um so if you, if you would split you know um uh, on the one side North America Latin America, Europe, and, and then back. Um, digital wallets are way more evolved in, Lat in LATAM and in APAC. Uh, now, I think Europe is closing the, 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 the gap very, very fast. Um, and, and especially that the, 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 the complexity is country by country. Uh, and and now that merchants and airlines, you know, have a have a European scope, they need to serve every single country. There's there's no exception. Now that being said, for for consumer trends, uh, credit online credit and and buy now pay later options uh, are somewhat merging, both for Europe and and the US and Australia, New Zealand. It's uh, it, it will be a common a common theme uh, all across those countries. Yeah. Does it answer your question? Yeah, and yes. I think I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I could also I could also jump onto that. I mean, we see on on the PPR side, we see we see pretty much the same thing. You know, how we look at the the global landscape, and this is taking it from a very high level. If um, you know, we've got data, and we can almost read through this on a on a country by country level. But if we look at it on a, on a very high level. Asia Pacific, we're seeing e-wallets completely dominate the landscape, um, and, and we're seeing a lot of them uh, pop up. Um, but that, that's been a trend that's been there for, for about five years or so. So, so we've seen that coming. Um, Latin America, again, there's there's a few e-wallets in that region. Um, the likes of uh, you know, there's 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 a few big names down there, but also cash payments are actually still prevalent in Latin America. Small amounts, maybe more local um, uh, retail type purchases. Uh, Africa, um, carrier billing, we see taking up and, and mobile payments. So we're talking about MTN and PESA. Those are very, very popular trends, especially because there's a huge uh, unbanked population within Africa. So essentially, we're seeing we're seeing mobile phone accounts almost turn into their bank accounts within the region, which is um, which is extremely interesting. And we've seen a few travel use cases occur there. And then Europe, Europe's a very interesting landscape because it's there's there's several trends. There. You know, you look and look at the Nordics buy now pay later, very popular. The UK buy now pay later, very popular. Germany sticking with uh, bank transfers, although potentially shifting a little bit. Um, and then there's some e-wallets. Um, 
down in, in Southern Europe, in Italy and Spain, that's, that's doing very well. Um, and then lastly, I mean, PayPal is very popular in, in, in Europe. So they've got kind of broad coverage within the region. So that's how we kind of segment the globe from a PPRO point of view. Um, but we're seeing these trends kind of on average just shift towards uh, different payment methods. Um, and it really, the big differences come when we look at our client base and we look at which countries our clients are targeting. And that's where we see kind of huge shifts because uh, kind of globally, you look at global payment volume and, and I mean, roughly 70% come from these alternative forms of payments versus uh, Visa, Mastercard, Amex. But if you look at a, let's say a regional US uh, airline or US merchant, that shift's gonna be, that, that uh, shift's gonna be very different compared to say a, a Indonesian airline. Um, but nevertheless, we're seeing the, we're seeing the, the pie of alternatives increase um, throughout the entire uh, globe. And from my perspective, there are, uh, I've, I've seen a lot of um, change as well. I mean, there was a Bank of England report, I actually posted it on my, my LinkedIn um, timeline, so I'll just put in a plug for that. Um, but they were saying in the Bank of England that the amount of cash in the UK over a 10-year period, uh, the cash supply doubled even though the cash, cash usage dropped by around 70%. And so they were trying to work out why, uh, and they were thinking that COVID in particular, but, but also just a general trend, people since the financial crisis of 2008 haven't necessarily always trusted the financial system to look after their savings. So there are there is a chunk of the population who may well be hoarding cash underneath their mattress or wherever they want to put it. So it's interesting that even though um, alternate forms of payment are, are accelerating, cash is reducing it in cash flow, people like to have the readies at hand uh, for, for a rainy day. And that, that's a really interesting stat. So feel free to take a look at the Bank of England report there. Um, the card schemes, of course, increased the contactless limits from March, particularly MasterCard. Um, and, and that has also uh, boosted um, sort of contactless transactions, and that's also pushed down the usage of, of cash. Um, but I think the other things that we're seeing are accelerated versions of what was out in the market anyway. And you, you call out Asia Pacific, some um, South American countries as well. Um, they are definitely um, uh, sort of pushing alternate forms of payment. Uh, and there's always going to be a debate about the cost of merchant service charges as well um, and what consumers might get as, as perks and who's ultimately paying those and what the regulators think about it. So there's an awful a lot of, of interesting flux um, and I guess people are, are looking to see what works for them. And when they've found something, it'll be interesting to see whether they uh, then stick with that or whether they move on to the next thing in another sort of three to five years time. Something to watch for. Um, Randy, thank you very much for, for that question. Was Did that um, sort of answer um, what you were uh, wanting to, to get out of us? And is there anything else you'd like to add? No, that definitely answered it. I, I, I think I was more focused on post-COVID and if those trends are holding up, but absolutely answered the question. So thank you. Thank you. Um, any other questions out there? Um, while people are thinking that this data question sort of came out because um, the, again, with, with traditional um, card payments, uh, the, the whole data flowing through the system is, is important, not just for the, 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 the auth, the, the authentication, uh, but then also um, making sure that, uh, that the transactions are reconciled. And if you've got uh, a whole load of uh, chargebacks and refunds coming in, you need to be able to have that data flying around um, uh, in, in usable chunks so that then merchants can, can actually run their business effectively. Um, now, do we see similar things um, happening uh, within the uh, alternate forms of payment? Um, is there still a requirement there? Um, and what are the regulatory aspects there as well that, that we are seeing? Um, and are you going to be asked for more data, do you think? Um, so we'll push that over to, uh, to, to the um, PayPal team, to Guillaume. 
So the, the, the data requirements is, um, for us, it's a risk topic. Um, because we, I think we have, um, the regulation itself, you know, it's, it's quite clear now uh, with GDPR in Europe. Uh, so the, the, the requirements are, are laid out and shared with our, our merchants. Uh, so in the end, the, the data we are using and the infrastructure we are building, it's just to manage the level risk, which by, by nature is increasing because the more people who are going online, the more risk you're going to bring online. Uh, but the good thing is that the infrastructures and you know the, uh, uh, the technology is pretty advanced now. Uh, we, we've, you know, we even have tools uh, to via APIs to help airlines to, you know, send us data so we can uh, uh, bring them back an answer by, by giving them some, some, some feedbacks. Um, so yeah, I, I don't really see a problem for, for, for me to be honest, it's more of an opportunity. Uh, and yeah, I would like, I think it's something that we, everybody needs to invest, but the technology is here. Yeah. Fantastic. And, and it's the same, it's the same thing on people's side. Um, obviously we, we, we run multiple payment methods and, and I can tell you that the level of data that, that we have to homogenize and provide to each payment method, uh, almost directly correlates to the amount of inherent risk that's within the payment method. So payment methods, uh, it's a old traditional bank transfer payment methods that have no chargeback risk. It's a very low amount of data that's required to perform those transactions. But they're, they're, they're all the time payment methods that they're closer to the traditional sense. Whereas some of the newer forms um, of, of payment methods or alternatives that have an element of credit and have a, um, a different uh, construct versus a, a bank transfer, they, they naturally require more data uh, because uh, we need to we need this data to manage and mitigate the risk as well as the payment methods needs this data to manage and mitigate the risk. However, I completely agree with Guillaume in that um, it's I, I see it as an upside. Having access to more of this data allows the payment methods to to provide better services to the consumer and actually faster settlement and a faster kind of funding cycle to to merchants. Mm -hmm. Which will inherently um, improve their cash flow and, and actually make um, make the whole transaction process better for everyone. So, so, so I definitely think we need to um, adjust to a more uh, data friendly approach. And at the same time, regulations um, are coming into effect to to protect both businesses and consumers. We've got GDPR in the EU that's that's there to protect consumers' data. And as businesses, we 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 do our best to to comply with it. And I think. That regulation will increase as we as we require more data. So it's 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 a positive for everyone, but it's an opportunity because um, there's added complexity in the system. Uh, but that's um, that can lead to some very good uh, uh, use cases and, and consumer experiences. Thank you. We've got another question actually around, um, I mean, we've touched a little bit this uh, on this already um, earlier on in, in the conversation, but um, uh, we know that the acquiring, uh, again, the whole credit card process can potentially slow down uh, settlements. We know that potentially uh, alternate forms of payment can speed up settlements and in, in a cash-strapped era, then the airlines need faster cash. Um, so do customers need incentivizing to, to move across to um, non-card payment methods? Um, and what have you seen airlines do already? Or do you think it's just a, a natural progression of things and, and consumers don't need uh, incentivizing to, to make a change? Um, uh, to you, James, and then back to, to Guillaume. So I think, I think in the past, in the past, incentivization was was needed uh, to to promote alternative forms of payment, and the incentivization was there um, purely because um, the the alternative forms of payments had a lower cost. They had lower costs. It was a it was a bank transfer, and actually there was a reason for merchants to incentivize those methods because it was a lower cost, and obviously it it, it increased their margins on the transactions. However, now I think because of 
of, of what we've seen in, in 2020. Um, because consumers' preferences have completely shifted and changed, and we're seeing we're seeing these e-wallets and bank transfers becoming the de facto form of payment. Um, what we're now seeing is is actually you know mer merchants need to be incentivized to almost um, um, display the right mix of payment methods at the checkout so they can optimize their conversion. And I think it's actually more around a, a conversion optimization discussion versus a incentivization uh, structure. And I think those two go hand in hand. You know, The higher conversion rate you see on certain payment methods and certain mixes, of course, you want to incentivize your consumers to, um, to use those methods both from a cost perspective as well as a conversion rate perspective. But I do see it shifting from having to incentivize consumers to more, you know, merchants are now incentivized to, to have the correct mix on the checkout so they can capture the market. Perfect. Um, Guillaume. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree with, with James. I think the question of uh, to incentivize somebody it's, it means that somebody else is losing. And I think that's, that's a lose, or that's not a win-win game solution. Uh, you're gonna get, end up with a situation where your competitor will not do the same and will give choice. Uh, so you have to go back to, to, to a, a, a simpler approach. Um, like for example, in PayPal, uh, whether it's within the wallet or also uh, as when we act as a, a PSP or when we act as a payout uh, engine, um, we always give the choice to the consumer and the merchant. Um, there's, if you block certain, certain options or you do something more favorable than the other, it means that you're 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 taking the decision for somebody, and it's and it's usually it's not working. Um, so yeah, I think the the challenge for me is that you you don't want to end up with a checkout page, uh, you know, like sometimes what you see in, in German website where you have ten different payment options, uh, and now the technology itself, you know, allows you to to pick the one or two options that are the most relevant to, to the consumer at this point of time. Um, and, and now the technology is available for you know, merchants to rely on other partners to make this decision, uh, but also retaining a certain level of control. Uh, so the, the, the key challenges is making sure you have all the method of payments, but you retain certain level of control but also that your checkout page is, is not a mess and it's still, it's still efficient. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. Um, we've probably got time for one more question. And we'll just see whether the, uh, whether the audience have, uh, have anything uh, additional to, to ask or, or add at this point. And if not, um, then what I'll do is I will ask you for uh, a tip uh, or a prediction um, for, uh, for 2021. Uh, so Guillaume, if, if you start and then we'll flip across to, to James. Uh, my prediction, um, I think one big trend that we see in, uh, in, with airlines, with marketplace is for the last couple of years, uh, Large merchants wanted to um, uh, to to reduce the risk of having one single provider, so they were taking a couple of PSPs at the same time uh, and and you know working out growth rate versus cost. Now the complexity is that whereas the regulation is higher, then payments are more complex with pay in pay out. Um, there's a tendency to have to rely on one single PSP to cover this whole spectrum. Um, I think the, the next step, which is my prediction, is actually you're going to see a, 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 a decoupling of the pay-in, risk management, and payout. Uh, and this, you know, this, uh, this sequencing 
uh, will be very interesting because it will give a lot more freedom to, to merchants in general. Fabulous. We'll have to meet again in another 12 months on this <laughs> forum and, and just check whether that has, uh, has come about. But absolutely, I, I feel there's a strong argument for that. Um, James, um, what, would, uh, what would your tip or uh, a prediction be for 2021? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I, I, I agree with Guillaume there. I think, I think there will be some decoupling. Um, I think with all of this complexity, we'll see, we'll see more providers focus in on specific use cases within the market. I mean, you mentioned, mentioned earlier on that there were, there was, there was a need for merchants or a, a concern for merchants to rely on a single provider. Um, but I think in, in the short term, if anything, there will be there will be almost more reliance on, on these single providers for these use cases, um, purely because of, of the additional complexities we're going to be seeing in each in each vertical. You know, we're going to see in the past when, uh, yeah, effectively a PSP focused maybe on many verticals, um, we're, we're going to see real industry leaders in specific um, sectors. Um, and that's where I see the likes of, uh, I mean, it's it sounds like a, uh, sales pitch or a plug, but that's where the likes of Amadeus payments and having this kind of accounts uh, orchestration strategy, I think is going to be extremely vital because um, I, I see extreme fragmentation that's going to occur over the next two, three years and navigating that alone is, is going to be next to impossible. Um, it's, you, you, there's going to be a lot of reliance on specialists um, as things globalize further. Fabulous. James, Guillaume, thank you very much for your time. Um, I think we're just more or less up to the hour. So uh, I think uh, we've, uh, we've had a really good conversation this evening. We really enjoyed it. Some good topics have been covered as well. Um, but I would also like this to be the start of a, a further set of conversations. So if any of the airlines in the uh, audience have got um, uh, more questions that they have or, or sort of would like to follow up on some of the things they've heard, please uh, reach out to us and we can bring in Guillaume and, and James as well um, and, and kind of just carry on the conversation. And that's it. A huge thanks to James and Guillaume for their contribution to this session. We hope you found it valuable and as always, if you'd like to learn more about any of the topics covered in the session or to understand how Amadeus can help you solve any cash flow challenges you might have, please make sure to reach out to travel.payments at amadeus.com. As mentioned at the start, you can also learn more by reading the two blog links available in the podcast description. This podcast series is brought to you by Amadeus Payments. The payments team specialises in processing payments for the global travel ecosystem. From acquiring to alternative payments, risk management, authentication and paying partners and suppliers, Amadeus Payments can help. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.